Hello, New City. Uh, Ian here. Ian Peterson, formerly from uh, the Republic of South Africa, now residing in Edina, Minnesota. Welcome to the first Sunday of the new year. Before we begin, I'd like to share something, just a few words I think are a bit overdue, at least from this spot where I stand. Uh, the purpose of this is really just to honor a couple folks in our church. I'm glad John is here. John, this is for you and Mary. Um, you've labored very hard for this church since its inception. Sincerely, we say thank you for your caring and your leadership. The truth is, you could have been doing something very, very different and be successful at it. John, you could have decided to stick with a career in technology, and yet you laid that aside to pursue a life in ministry. Mary, you could have chosen to do something completely different, maybe counseling, Christian counseling, teaching, or maybe a soccer coach, maybe. I also know Minnesota is not the easiest state to make a new home. When the plans for the church plant initially fell through, I mean, you could have gone on to do different things, but you didn't. This little church community exists because you believe then in what we would be doing today, learning about and following the ways of Jesus. Thank you for the blood, sweat, and tears, and continuing to believe praying and working towards what Yahweh would have displayed through us to the rest of the world. So from all of us, we say thank you. Bye, donkey. Giabonga. Giabonga gakulu. Well, Happy New Year. Many are glad that we have turned the corner into a new year. I remember around the September time frame, I kept hearing people saying, let's just be done with 2020. Let's turn the corner. Let's start fresh. And the reasoning was uh, COVID. I clearly hear people saying, I just want time pass to pass quickly. I want these troubles of COVID to be behind us. No one could see a silver lining to the circumstances, but it was an incredible year with many hot topics, some for the first time and others just resurfacing, making sure that we knew we live in a broken world. 2020 is gone, but not forgotten. Here are some of the highlights that Ian remembered. Top of the list, COVID-19. George Floyd, Meghan Markle, Australia is burning. California is burning. Impeachment, Kobe, the Black Panther. Brexit, Harvey, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, toilet paper, Elon Musk, Liverpool Football Club, RBG, Kamala, Zappos, Pfizer, Moderna, learning the unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus. As we walk into a new year, it's a time of year we're faced with uh, making, making and breaking or not making New Year's resolutions at all. 
I haven't been a participant in probably the last eight to 10 years, choosing rather to resolve not to make any re resolutions, but I hope to change that this year. In keeping with the New Year's resolution theme, let me share some that I found that may have already made your list. Take control of your health. Create an additional income stream. If you want to learn the ways of flipping bikes, just let me know. Take control of your finances, read more books, follow a Bible reading plan, get involved in your community, COVID safe, of course. Step out of your comfort zone, choose three ways to create new memories. Add journaling to your routine. Pursue one dream you've neglected. Swap, start swapping out toxic products between heavily processed foods, skincare products that are filled with harsh chemicals and products that are negatively impacting the environment. So what is it about New Year's resolutions that get us every year? We want to do something new, perhaps we've never accomplished. Perhaps this is the year we will lose that elusive five pounds we can't shake, perfect our golf swing, or rebel against our Enneagram number. I hope that in the setting of your resolutions or goals for 2021, you'll consider where Jesus would want you to grow. As you set those up, consider how your reflection will be at the end of the year. As we are learning the unforced rhythms of grace, we will journey with God as he helps us grow and bear more fruit. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 24 read. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. What is going on in this passage? The rich guy says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? In our world, we love good habits and routines and we tend to become comfortable in our ways the older we get. The older we get, 
the willingness to do and try new things tends to lose ground. The tank of energy has a reduced level and we become more calculated with what we will give our time to. Change becomes more difficult and as the youthful energy of quick transitions and newness are replaced by the familiar, predictable, sensible. There's a concept I've been thinking about on and off for, I don't know, about 15 years. It has to do with the competing modes of doing and being. I hear it in our friend, the rich man, in our text for today when he says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's the doing part of what he's saying that's an indicator of where he thinks he can solve his current problem. He has done a lot in keeping the commandments, we know, but he's looking to do more, to gain assurance of eternal life. In relation to setting New Year's resolutions, here's what we do. And let me preface this by saying there's a lot of logic that's in what I'm about to go through. Um, if you're a five, it'll be really easy, you'll pick it up, but I've tried to uh, add some repetition and then some uh, personal examples uh, just to make it maybe a little bit more clear for those who are not fives. So in relation to setting New Year's resolutions, here's what we do. We set resolutions and other goals. For example, I want to be a happier person this year. Or I want to have a physique like the Black Panther. But we continually dwell on how we are not as we would like to be. And we do it both for internal emotional well-being, I want to be happy, and external kinds of things. Like, I want to look physically like the Black Panther. But it's the dwelling that provides problems for us, making us actually feel worse at the end of the day. The dwelling is what confirms our view that we are not the kind of person we feel we need to be in order to be happy or to look a certain way. And this comes down, what I found, to be two main modes in which we operate. These two modes are doing and being. First, let's look at the doing mode. So the job of the doing mode of the mind is to just get things done, to achieve particular goals that you've set in your mind. These goals could relate to external worlds, like completing a project, bike 100 miles a week, lose 10 pounds by March, and maintain it or internal, I want to feel happy, I don't want to make any mistakes, I want to never be sad again, or just generally be a good person. It's a process that continually monitors and evaluates where we are against this model or standard that we have set for ourselves. And that standard can be what's desired, required, expected, or feared. And then the discrepancy model switch is turned on. And what it does, it starts to find mismatches between what actually is and what we're expecting to be. That's what it does, that's its job. 
When we notice these mismatches, we become, motiv become motivated further, making attempts to reduce the discrepancies between what we think it should be and what it really is. Almost there, I have a four pack, only two to go to make the Black Panther six pack. But dwelling on how things are <clears throat> not as we want them to be can naturally become negative emotions. Like we're not measuring up to that set goal. It's the game of individual mental gymnastics. I personally have tried this and failed. In fact, in 2006, I declared to my wife that this was gonna be the year of the bod, meaning I would shortly become in the best shape of my life and maintain it. It didn't work. I tried to accomplish this goal, but ran into problems, problems noticing every week that I was not getting there. And here's what ends up happening. Our attempts to solve the problem by endlessly thinking about it can keep us locked into a state of mind from which we are really trying to do our best to escape. I'll give you another example. It's like driving the speed limit. At times I've had trouble driving the speed limit. And I tried to drive the speed limit. But I became so focused on my not driving the speed limit, I was trying really hard. My, my mind sort of got wrapped in this loop about the reasons why I'm not driving the speed limit. And eventually, it didn't help me drive the speed limit. Now, I know I might have lost some of you there, but don't sweat it. Just email me at john at newcitycub.org. Everything will be explained in 250 words or less. Let me try and summarize. Here's how the discrepancy monitor works in the doing mode. We create an idea of how we want things to be or how we think they should be. Then we compare that idea with how things are right now. If there's a difference between how things are and how we want them to be, then we generate thoughts and actions to try and close the gap. We monitor our progress to see whether the gap is increasing or decreasing and make adjustments where we can. We know we have reached our goal when our idea of how things are coincides with our idea of how we want them to be. With some of these goals, we can become stuck in a perpetual cycle of not measuring up to the standard we have set. Now, to be clear, there's nothing inherently wrong with this doing mode. In fact, the opposite. The doing mode approach has worked really well in generating strategy, um, executing plans, solving problems, achieving goals. It's only when this doing mode volunteers for a job that it can't do that problems arise. Remember power and control, affection and esteem, security and survival. In many, many cases of our lives, doing mode volunteers for a job that it can do, and our lives are better for it. But to be aware, whenever there's a sense of have to, must, should, ought, 
or need to, we can suspect the presence of the doing mode extra. Especially when it's about other people. What they should have said, how they should be, what they ought to wear, and what we think would be best for them. The problem is, is that the thoughts take on a new life and become what is real and not simply ideas in our mind. And what follows is a recurring sense of being unsatisfied, anxious about the inadequacy and then eventual despair. So what's really happening in this doing mode in the present moves to the background compared to the measurement against the goal of a fuller and healthier view is diminished. A rich young guy says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That's the doing mode. Now let's switch to the being mode. In the being mode, the mind has nothing to do and nowhere to go. No checklist, no goals. This allows it to be settled and can focus fully on a moment-by-moment -moment experience. What it allows us to be is fully present and aware of whatever is here right now. If there's a discrepancy between what is and what should be, action can be taken right away to reduce the discrepancy. If the action is successful, there's no problem. But what if we can't find effective actions in our attempts to think of possible solutions? What if they go nowhere? Well, in the being mode, with an external problem, like trying to look like the Black Panther, Ian will simply give up and get on with something else. But once the self becomes involved, it is much more difficult to let go of the goal of being consistently happy that we've set. The being mode will simply let go. It'll make allowances or it'll allow grace to flow in for the inadequacies and the imperfections. This is particularly easy for the being mode because the being mode is not a is not devoted to achieving particular goals. The focus of the being mode is accepting and allowing what is, with no immediate plan to make any changes. The concept of allowing arises naturally when there's no goal, no standard to be reached, and no need to continually evaluate the experience in order to reduce discrepancies between what's actually happening and what is desired. So what follows is that attention is no longer focused narrowly on those aspects of the present, the four-pack, that are directly related to the goal, the six-pack. In being mode, the experience of the moment can be processed and experienced in its full depth, width, and richness. It is direct, immediate, intimate experience of the present. That's the being mode. But just to be clear, we can operate in both, moving from one to the other, finding balance where we experience too much of the other. I've been a participant in both, as many as you, as you are, 
but we tend to lean a little bit heavier on either side. My experience has been that here in the West, we prefer doing over being. So our problem in the text is that the man, the rich man, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's what a lot of us are like. We prefer to accomplish, to achieve, to do something that will get us there, wherever there is. He's already doing a lot. He follows commandments and acknowledges that he has kept them. But there's something going on with this man that I find interesting. He is an upstanding citizen of his community between the ages of 21 to 28. Obeying the laws, he gives back to his community, but he wants some certainty for eternal life. His view is that he is seeking some elusive task that he cannot figure out on his own. He's looking for that next challenge, that next challenging thing he can accomplish. Perhaps something really difficult using all of what he has learned to date. Part of the problem is that this man's worldview is in a doing mode. And the other parts have to do with his divided attention between God and his possessions. In verse 21, Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus invites him to be perfect. And to be clear, perfect here doesn't mean sinless, but it refers to being devoted. Jesus identifies that this man is divided in his devotion And that can happen when doing becomes so central to our lives that we don't stop doing and leave no room for being. We don't slow down, allowing ourselves to be calm, settle our hearts, and be in the present to bring peace to our souls. So we don't make allowances for the way that things are. And when we do that, we leave little room for grace to flow in and fill us up with the assurance that we are okay, that we are loved, and that we are known. The good deed that he's looking for direction on, he gets, but it's one he doesn't like. But to be a disciple, we cannot be divided by what we worship. As an example, both God and money When asked to sell his possessions, he found it difficult because of being known by his wealth, but also what his wealth gave him, privilege, status, economic power. When your identity is wrapped up in stuff, you'll find it difficult to become a disciple of Jesus. It'll be tough to switch lanes and become less so Jesus can become more. The text here is not against becoming rich or wealthy. Jesus is after our hearts and where we place our focus. What's difficult in our world is that we get measured so strangely by what we've done or what we can achieve. 
At times we go through great lengths to make it to the next round, sleeping under our desks at work. So it's tough to find some balance between being a follower of Jesus in a world that really wants to measure and categorize us by knowing what we do for a living. The world thinks you are what you are because of what you do and what you've accomplished. We have to remind them that we do what we do because of who we are and who Jesus says we are. In closing, here's a couple of things I think we can consider as we enter the new year, making our New Year's resolutions. Maybe start a mindfulness practice so you can start making allowances within your doing mode. Make room for grace for yourself. The allowances will help you to be more present. Maybe start making a list of what you want to accomplish if you're not accomplishing much in being more than doing. The accountability will certainly help you be more effective. Take a look at where you spend your time and energy and make adjustments if you're too wrapped up in something that is shaping your identity away from peace. We need to be able to receive a blessing like the little children. For such as these is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that we are alive this time in history. Thank you for this church. I thank you for our leadership. I thank you for all the blessings you've bestowed on us. Thank you for guiding, leading, and always being there for us through 2020 and certainly through 2021. I pray that we recognize you and we make adjustments where you would have us make them. Help us make good New Year's resolutions that will bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.